There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody, we're live. It's a day late. It's uh, Saturday morning, but we're going to talk about the Ducks and Red Wings game on the Forever Mighty postgame show. Eddie, it's uh, it's my fault we're late today uh, to talk about this Ducks 4-2 win, not yours this time. Hey, whatever. I, mean, I think we all like uh, getting up at an uh, early in the morning and, and doing a show. Why not? I mean, who, who needs to do it right after a post game show to make it to make it a post game? Right. Yeah, you don't need to do it right after when it's a post game show. You just kind of want to talk about it whenever. Uh, no, we, it's definitely not going to be a habit. Um, if you're listening to this, obviously. We appreciate you guys coming on board and downloading the show. Or if you're in live, you're one of the few people that are going to pop in here. We really appreciate that, too. But uh, it was a hell of a game last night. Um, Just some bad blood that I just didn't realize was going to pop up in this game. Um, I was talking with a buddy of mine. I was at the game and it was uh, he was like, what is what is with all these? Like, why this Red Wings team is terrible. How are they even coming out of Anaheim like this and making it competitive? I'm like, well, I mean, every team, good or bad, I mean, the parity is just still close, and you have to show up every night. And uh, it was nice to see the Ducks pop out with a win, but the Red Wings kind of kept it close most of the game, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, it was – I don't want to say it was reminiscent of the last game because the Ducks' offense just was non-existent, but I think in the fact that Detroit just found a way to keep it close – and I, I mean, I'm surprised because they're a team who hasn't been great this season. They're in the Darlene sweepstakes, uh, and they fought hard. They really wanted to win this game. There was obviously some bad blood, and uh, I, I don't know where it stems from, other than the fact that maybe it reaches way, way back from when, when Detroit was in the Western Conference. But yeah, I don't think anybody expected three fights in this game, 42 penalty minutes. I mean, part of our predictions was how many total penalty minutes would be uh, between both teams combined, and I think the highest answer was 20. So nobody expected this type of game uh, to be this physical. I felt like it all started with the hit on on Fowler from Witowski. 
Yeah. I mean, Wachowski's that guy who's already been suspended for 10 games or coming off the bench earlier in the season. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, he, he came off and fought. I forgot who he fought, but he, he got in trouble for that. He's kind of like their, their tough guy pest. And uh, going after Fowler, this Ducks team has seen Fowler with injuries over the past few seasons. We've seen Gibson get run into, which there was a lot of net crashing going on tonight. And I just I feel like this Anaheim team, you know, they're tired of being injured. They're tired of of having to deal with these injury issues, and they they feel like they need to make this run like everybody else is waiting for them to do. So I felt like it all started there. It was like if you're going to run our guy, you're going to pay a price, and it just built up from there. And and I like it. I like that time that type of team game. We're all in it together, and and uh, everyone's you know we're all brothers, and we need to we need to win this game and get into the playoffs. Yeah, well, Lindholm in the in post game said it felt like a playoff game, and it kind of did, which is weird to say that against Detroit uh, and how bad they've been. But but yeah, it has to all stem. I think not just from the fact that Fowler was hit because it was a clean hit. It was a hard hit, but it was clean. I think it's the fact that he looked to be injured on the play, got up slowly, went to the bench. I don't know if he actually ended up going to the locker room, but he was obviously in some discomfort. Um, and, and this is a guy who plays the most on that blue line for the Ducks, considered a leader on the, on, on the back end. So they weren't taking any of that. And especially from a guy like Witkowski who plays about six minutes a night and his pretty much his job out there is to target the Ducks' best players. Uh, and, of course, that ends up leading later on. We'll get into it, but to the Richie fight and the fights that followed after that. No, it was exciting, though, man. That place, yeah. I was at the at the game, and, and, of course, there's like always a sea of red. Detroit travels well, or people don't like the winter there, and they've moved out back to California <laughs> and show up for these games. But uh, let's get into the pregame here just real quick before we start the show. John Gibson, I mean, who else is going to get the nod in net? You predicted this, that he's going to be in net for as long as possible, heading down on the stretch to keep the rust off him, as you know the old saying is. Uh, Pedersen is in. The Ducks uh, end up having to call up. Um, Holzer, excuse me, he had to call up Holzer. Corbinian Holzer had to come into the uh, back to Anaheim from the goals because of an injury to BX, which we'll talk about later in the show. But Holzer ends up being scratched along with Vermette and JT Brown again. I don't know what Carlisle is doing with Brown. Why did he get him if we're not going to play him? And then uh, get this show started here, riding around now. Eddie, you want to go ahead and get the intro going? Yeah, let's get going. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center, Perry, scoops, Corey Perry. Lilia able to shake away from Solani, it's given away to Solani, around in front, score! Tamu Solani with the steal. Perry and the fans want one. All right, let's get into it. I mean, back to back to back wins now. Finally, after coming off three shows with losses, Ducks end up winning this one four to two against Detroit. And it was a, I mean, it was kind of a back and forth game. I think for the most part, it was nice for the Ducks offense to get back to it. I think that's was the big thing we said after the game against Vancouver is that the secondary scoring has to get going. And the Ducks had an early chance in this one. They had an early power play off a high sticking on on Mike Green. And they had a pretty good chance. Lindholm on a scramble in front, almost bangs to pass Jimmy Howard after Kessler gets a, a chance created off the rebound. Yeah, no, it's it's something that you would see a theme here for Anaheim, especially with you know the amount of shots they were getting on on Howard. All their goals came within five feet of the net. It was crash the net. It was it was getting you know rebound chances and making sure that you're in position to bang home those plays. And Lindholm almost grabs him there on the scramble in front. 
Yeah, and, and it was kind of back and forth because right after that, Kasha takes a slashing penalty. Detroit gets a power play, but the Ducks' penalty kill was actually on fire in this game, which was nice to see the special teams turning around. And then Gibson, he gets called into the game early as well because Bertuzzi gets a chance wide open in front of the net. Good positional save by Gibby. And, I mean, we talked about how big he's been for the Ducks, the fact he's gonna he should be in the discussion for the Vesna, uh, and he's ready to go early. That's the running theme for yeah. us this past couple of weeks gibby vesna like that's what you guys are going to hear about because this guy does not get enough credit i got a text message when i was at the game last night like looks like gibby's going to have to be a bit extra my buddy put it in quotes like he's going to have <laughs> to put up put up an extra you know force field around his net because the, the, this detroit team is just not going to turn over and die right i mean they're professionals yeah. they want to come in and play and win too and they I mean, shoot it was almost i'm not trying to bash us anaheim fans but it was almost like a 50 50 home game for the amount of Detroit fans there. So Gibby stands tall, robs Tyler Batuzzi in front of the net, old Todd's son. Um, that kid, I mean, he's going to be good for this Red Wings team. So good save there by Gibby. But then the goal would come for Anaheim, and it yeah. comes for line that is desperately needed it. Puck gets cleared down the sidewall, all the way down. Kasha was able to beat out the icing, feeds it over to Henrique, who gets a centering feed right on the tape for Nick Ritchie, who puts it just off the top of the pad of Howard and under the blocker, and all of a sudden it's one nothing Ducks. And it's so nice to see this line clicking, all three of them getting points. Of course, Cash is the guy who gets the primary assist because that's pretty much all he does. No noise for him. He gets goals and primary assists, and that's it. But it's great, I think, for Ritchie to be the guy to get the goal. I mean, if anybody needed a boost on that line, I think it was Nick Ritchie uh, for him to get a goal. Good positioning from him. Great pass from Andre Kasha to set him up from behind the net. And, and I mean, just great all around to see these guys get going. The Getzlaff, Perry, uh, Raquel line has been carrying this team. And now for, for some life to be breathed into this third line is going to be huge if they can continue playing this way. God, I flipped those two guys around. It was Henrique who had the second assist. That's <laughs> my bad. Good you got to remember, Kasha... Out. Always has primary assists. He's that's true. <laughs> no matter what, he's going to be the guy. I was like, no, 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 man. It wasn't. It wasn't Kasha. Which is, I guess, <laughs> my memory from the game. I said it was like the speed, but it was actually now that I think about it. Um, yeah, no, that was huge, man. And that's something Richie needed. This whole line has needed it. So definitely something the Ducks. You know, you would see this in this game where that line started rolling. Um, but this is what we talked about in pregame. What happens next? Watowski on the forecheck just crunches Fowler along the boards. He was like, like at the goal line. It ended up he hit him so hard he ended up skating. Like he pushed his skates directly into the wall. It looked like he might have went knee first into the wall, and maybe yeah. that was the issue because he got up kind of limping there. Fowler did head straight down to the bench from where I was sitting. I don't know if they showed it on TV, but I couldn't see him go to the locker room or not. Um, luckily, he ends up being okay in this game, and that was kind of like the match that lit the fire in this game. That was that was going to cause all the problems, and there was going to be some rough stuff going on. Um, I mean, is that how you saw it too? Just kind of like that was like the spark. Yeah, and I think again mentioning the fact that it was Witkowski, I think is is kind of what starts it a little bit more. I mean, the, this is why he's out there, right? I mean, he's out there to be a pest. He's out there to kind of target, maybe not in a nasty way, but to target the Ducks' best players. And, and he had Fowler lined up pretty much from the point he got to the circle. He was ready to hit Fowler hard. And it's a clean hit. I mean, I got to give him credit. It's a clean hit. He launches Fowler into the boards. 
Uh, and I guess where he gets injured is, like you said, he, he kind of hits both of his knees on, together on the boards. And then where Kelsey also kind of clips him again when he falls down and kind of squishes his leg against the boards. I mean, we're lucky. I feel like we're a little bit lucky that Fowler got out of that uh, and was able to come back and play. Obviously, no update today, but I would assume he's fine. But, uh, I mean, it could have been a lot worse. If he was closer to the boards and Wilkowski had got a little bit more steam behind him, that could have been a really nasty hit. No, it's definitely true. Um, who did Getzloff hit where he took the interference apparently out of this? I felt like that was so unnecessary, but I kind of felt like it was just Getzloff being a little rough. And yeah. whoever he hit, he, he, caught, he caught him in center <laughs> ice. I don't remember who he hit. I was trying to figure it out, too, because I wanted to put out a gift during the game. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, retaliation by the captain, that's for sure. Obviously doesn't end up hurting them in the end, but not I guess not the penalty you want to take. And I feel like, I mean, the, the fight comes right after it. I feel like you can leave it for the fight to really take some revenge on Wachowski. But, I mean, Getzlaps is going to do what he can do to protect the team, right? So now He's the captain. He's the leader. He's got to yep. stand up for his guys. Um, so then we get the fight. Nick Ritchie throws down with Witowski. Interesting the way this fight started. Ritchie seems like he's a little bit of the bigger man in this fight. And Witowski was trying to go crazy and start throwing punches, and he just wasn't landing. His arms are a little shorter than Ritchie's, so Ritchie yeah. was able to duck out of most of that stuff. And everyone around us was like, what is he waiting for? Like, what is Ritchie waiting for? I'm like, dude, let that guy like punch himself out and then let Ritchie <laughs> start throwing some bombs. Um, I don't think anyone landed like gigantic clean hits. But I would say Richie landed a couple that uh, I felt landed nicely on Witowski's head. Maybe some helmet there. But then there was yeah. this weird thing at the end of the fight where Richie goes down and Witowski falls on top. And it almost looked like Witowski was like waiting for somebody to come over to Richie. I'm like, oh, no. Did he hit his head? Turns out he was just pissed at him. Yeah. <laughs> they were like <laughs> on the ice for a good 30 seconds with referees holding his arms back. Did they yeah. talk about that on the broadcast? A bit, yeah. Yeah. Um... To just kind of reference the fight a bit, I, I mean, I thought this was going to be a heavyweight fight. I mean, if you had to pick two guys from each team, maybe barring Abdulkader, Wachowski's the guy who's probably a guy that's most known for fighting in Detroit. That's a, a lot of what he does in his game. And then Richie's one of the tougher guys on the Ducks. I thought this was going to be a heavyweight bout, and there really wasn't any punches landed. I think, like you said, Richie kind of got the better of Wachowski. I, th- I believe he was bleeding. Might have got a, a visor to the nose, and he was cut a bit. But... The reason that I saw that uh, Wachowski was a little bit angry when Richie was on the ice, because Richie gives him a little bit of a shot when they're going down, a little bit of a late punch uh, to the head, and, and Wachowski, I think, was ready to give it back to him, but the ref was holding his arm back a bit, and they had a little bit of a chat, uh, and I guess they, they felt they were pretty good after that. But yeah, that that's why he was pissed off, because Richie gave him a nice little shot. Yeah, whatever, man. That's what yeah. that's the way it goes. Richie's been known to do that this season. He yep. gave... Uh, who did he give on the Kings? He gave somebody uh, uh, a wash on the way down. So was it was it Clifford? I, I think yeah, he got it, on the way it down. It had to be somebody like that. Clifford's usually the guy who's fighting for LA anyway. So and people were pissed about that in LA. Like, why did he have to hit him on the ice? That's you know, that's a that's a you know, it's a bush league move. That's what Richie's been doing this season. Whatever he's got going on there, he's a, he's a frightening guy when he drops the gloves. Yeah. He's a big boy. But um, then some miscues here on defense. And, you know, just overall, I would just say team defense here. Mike Green with probably the easiest goal he's scored this season from what I've seen anyway. This was something that uh, just all of a sudden he got lost in the shuffle. Larkin was able to feed a nice backhand right across the, the slot. And it was an easy tap-in shot there for Green. With Gibby had no chance, just swung out his stick. He just didn't even see that backside pass coming. 
Yeah, uh, like you said, this is the easiest goal Green's probably scored all season. Kind of left wide open, I think that's... I mean, this is a goal you usually see on the power play, where some guys, one guy's always going to be open, and Green was all alone on the left side of the ice. I think pretty much everybody, except the point man for Detroit, was on the right side of the ice. I think Manson is the guy who ends up leaving him open. He kind of comes in and uh, helps uh, protect in front of the net. There was two Detroit players there, so they created a little bit of a three-on-two that left Green open. But, yeah, I mean, a nice feed by to get it to him. I think it was a little bit against the grain of play, too, because I think the Ducks played a very strong first period despite being outshot 11-9, to and it was a little bit of a dagger at the end of the first to get that goal for Green. Yeah, that's it kind of made the game all of a sudden feel like it was going to go the way the other losses went, like Ducks get some momentum, or look like they get some momentum and the uh, opposition comes back. But Ducks get out of the first period 1-1 to shots, 11-9 to in favor of Detroit. Um, overall, not a bad period by Anaheim, but like you said, that last goal was kind of like, really, it's like a, like a momentum killer. Um, going into the second period here, Raquel gets tripped up Ducks with an early power play. Um, not much going on the power play tonight, huh? It just didn't seem like no. they were clicking. No, the, I mean, the penalty kill was really the, the uh, pinnacle of the special teams for the Ducks. The penalty kill was great. Power play just couldn't get anything going, and I think it was a mix of Detroit playing a decent penalty kill, and the Ducks' power play just continuing to struggle. They had a couple games here and there, but a week ago where it was looking better, they had put Montour with Fowler on the point, popped Henrique up there with Getzlaff and Raquel on the first unit, and it was starting to look better, and now it's just kind of regressed back to what we're used to. And I don't know if there's a cure for it. I, I think it's just going to continue to be bad, which amazes me, because the talent that the Ducks can put on both units, that it's still bottom five, bottom ten in the league. We need the Walrus back. That's yeah, what we need. We Get need the a power system, play going. Yeah. Need something to change on that power play. We thought that new look would probably be the golden answer there for Anaheim. We figured Getzloff, Low, Enrique, Raquel, Montour, and Fowler. That's a pretty dangerous top, you know, top power play unit with those five guys on the ice. For whatever reason, I don't know. The last game I saw was just too many passes. Like they try to be yeah. way too pretty with those passes against Vancouver. Um, and this one, it just seemed like they couldn't get it going. I, that's what I felt like. But it doesn't matter here because then uh, first-line center Grant ends up cleaning up on, on the scramble in front to make it 2-1 to one Ducks. Not the guy you would expect to be playing with Jakob Silverberg. I mean, that was an interesting move by Randy Carlisle to slot in. I'm not sure what the situation does was there with Kessler not being on that line at that time. But Grant, Grant cleans up the rebound. I mean, that was a fortunate play because Grant had a lot of room on the upper part of the net, and he just threw it right into Howard, and thankfully Howard had lost his goal stick and was scrambled like behind the goal line. Made it 2-1 there for the Ducks. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to criticize the elite number one side of Derek Grant too much for him not being able to elevate the puck. But, yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting because he's a guy we've talked about all season where he's kind of been able to slot in and out of the lineup at different points. He's played second line, he's played first line, he's played fourth line center. I'm sure at some point he's played third line center, so he's kind of been all over the place. But it was interesting because I don't think that line had necessarily played bad up to that point. I don't know if it was because they're coming off the power play, they're giving Kessel a little bit of a break and just throwing Grant out there, but... I mean, Carlisle's getting credit for that one because obviously it ends up working out and Grant's able to clean up the scramble and put the Ducks up 2-1. to one. And 10 goals on the season for Derek Grant. I don't think anybody expected that. 
No, but that's uh, basically he's signing this contract right now. We, as we've yeah. talked about the past few shows, this is the Ducks' fourth line center. That's it, man. This is him. Yep. So nice to see any time he can get a goal or put up points. So good on Derek Grant getting his first 10 goals of his NHL career um, <laughs> after playing the league for several years. I mean, good on him to you know finally yeah. get something going for himself and helping the Ducks out, of course. But then the Ducks take a lazy penalty, too many men on the ice, and uh, the Ducks would put Detroit on the power play. But, you know, Detroit kind of had similar luck as the Ducks on the power play. They would also would be stymied here again. But it didn't matter too much as one of my favorite players on Detroit would tie the game up. Gustav Nyquist off kind of a broken play as Albuquerque throws it out in front of the net uh, to him. Almost like almost behind the back, like the puck was going back and yeah. he tossed it back and it got tossed back again. The puck from Nyquist actually hits off the post and then goes in the net between Gibby's pads. So a little bit of, of an unfortunate play. Um, too many Red Wings down low with not enough coverage. And all of a sudden it's 2-2 in the second period. Yeah, and you can't blame Gibby too much on that one. I, I mean, there's five Ducks players there in the area. Nobody picks up Nyquist. Nobody even stick checks him, really. And the puck just, I don't think anybody even expects Ablocator to sweep that out to him. Uh, and it's just right out in front. I mean, Nyquist is essentially all alone with four Ducks players behind him, and he's able to just squeak it under the arm and off the post. So unfortunate for Gibby. Uh, I feel like he was kind of left a, a little bit hung out to dry there. But, yeah, I, I mean, the, both of the goals in this one were kind of a missed coverage, and I think we've felt like that's been an issue for the Ducks uh, a lot of cases in different games where they're kind of preventable. If somebody just picks up that guy, I mean, there's four guys there. One person just has to get the body on Nyquist, and he's either not getting a shot off or it's definitely not got as much on it as he got. So, I mean, it's unfortunate because that goal tied the game, and I really felt like the Ducks were controlling this second period. And uh, other than the power play in this goal, there wasn't really much going on for Detroit. No, and you know we talked about the coverage in the game against the Blues. Yeah. Felt like they were able to stop the, the Tarasenko line, but I mean the other other defensive zone coverage amongst the third and fourth line guys. I mean it was all it was all bottom six that was pot and goals there for the Blues. So the Ducks have some cleaning up to do still. I mean we got about this game because we had all we had our you know our three scoring lines going, and then Grant with the uh, with you know the rebound the rebound in front, even though he was slotted up off the fourth line there. But uh, the play would kind of go back and forth in between the next goal. And then all of a sudden you would see Kessler get denied in front as you made a nice gift for that last night. But Kessler would not be denied later in this game. But Ricard Raquel, who else needs to get back on the score sheet, throws a puck on net, gets off, chops the puck. He's not even facing the net, tips it, and then does a backhand pass. These guys are like, twins that's what yeah. they've always been called on the Sanheim <laughs> team and somehow he felt Perry was going to circle to the right side of the net Perry did nobody picked him up and now it's three two ducks what a hell of a play by Getzloff man he's just having one of those seasons yeah he doesn't even look I mean the entire time he's looking at Raquel so unless Perry calls out that he's there that's just complete instinct for Getzloff to throw it back I mean maybe he was trying to chop it as a shot but it really does look like he was trying to pass it to the back post for Perry so I wouldn't put it past him just to kind of know that Perry was going to be there because he's done that on so many occasions. But it's nice to see this line continuing to do well, not just... I mean, we're used to one line cooling off and then another line heating up, and we had seen the the Henry Casher-Ritchie line play well. Uh, Kessler, Cogliano, Silverberg had already gone on the board, 
And now for the Ducks' first line to continue their good play as of late, finally we get a game where all three lines in the top six were contributing to the goal scoring, and the Ducks are going to need this. I mean, it's so key for them to at least have two lines, if not all three of their top nine, going if they're going to make a push in these last ten games to get to the playoffs. Yeah, Corey Perry has a legitimate chance to hit 20 goals this season. He's at 16. Yeah. Raquel hits 30 assists, so he's just having a monster year again for himself. Like we've said before, one of the best, most underrated players in the league. Great job there by Bob Murray getting him locked up. Uh, but this is where all the fun starts. So after <laughs> Raquel throws it in that, Getzlock gets to Perry to make it 3-2. Next big news in the second period was Justin Applicator. Um fights Corey Perry Corey Perry was kind of pesting around a little bit huh he got knocked around a little I felt like and then he didn't like that gave a stick to uh to a couple of guys on the Red Wings ends up fighting Ablocator and it was kind of like a it was a weird fight I mean I felt like Perry didn't really want to fight I don't know like or he doesn't he's never been a fighter so like none of his fights impressed me I remember back when he fought Datsuk actually in the playoffs and Datsuk got the better of him (laughs) It was just kind of like, <laughs> Perry, you're not a small guy, man. you got to learn how to throw some bombs. But uh, what was your take on that fight there? I felt it was pretty even and almost like a nothing fight. Yeah, it really was. Nobody landed many of the punches if you watched the replay because I didn't even put any gifts because I couldn't find anything that was really worth putting up because I, I don't really think <laughs> any big punches were landed. I saw Alvocator kind of miss, and they're both just really outside each other's reach, it seemed like. you know They're about the same size, pretty big guys you, you would expect. Uh, a decent fight but no big punches landed and, and Perry was looking for something I don't know if he was looking for a fight or what but there was a play where Daly I think took him down behind the net and Perry was not happy comes to the front of the net slashes Daly in the back of the legs gives him a cross check skates to center ice talking John with Daly then Jensen comes in pushes from behind Perry gives him a nice slash which led up to the fight he was looking to get a piece of pretty much whoever he could which was disappointing because the fight ended up being not that great. I mean, it felt like he was ready to go. And it felt like it almost broke out again, though. Right? The, the the fight yeah. goes to the glass, and then like the referees break it up, and then there was a lot of standing around and talking with officials. I don't know if they showed that on the broadcast. but like Yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who was getting involved there, but this is where the bad blood really started to boil yeah. over in this game. I really felt like it was going to be at a tipping point, and it would continue. Kessler and Mantha getting a fight. Kessler, I felt, got the better of that one. I always, like, worry about Kessler fighting right now because, you know, he's injured. He's playing injured. I know it's his hip, not his hands. But you never want a guy to go down again or break his hand or have something bad happen. He's finally looks like he's starting to feel better and better every game. And, you know, he would produce this night as well. So he got the better of Mantha in that one. Did you see what led up to that? Uh, No. I think it was just things were heating up in this game. It's time to go. Yeah. And, I mean, Kessler's, what, is he an enforcer now? Is this... Three fights in the last week and a half or so. I, I know for sure there was two because he had that fight where he popped Taves in the face, but I believe he'd fought somebody before that as well. Uh, Johansson, right? He fought Johansson, Taves, and now Abdelkader in the last five games. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it, I mean, he, he's obviously feeling better. He's kind of taken on a different role. He does get a goal in this one, which is nice to see him get on the score sheet. But he, he's he's playing physical. He's playing on the edge. This game was getting heated, and, and he felt like he needed to step in. Yeah, you have to feel like the uh, you know the reason why the third period was so quiet is there was only one penalty in that third period. Yeah, that the linesmen and the referees were kind of like, "This is gonna be stopped. Like we're not having 
we're not having a gong show tonight. There's no way I'm going to start booting people out of the, out of the game. You know, you're yeah. going to start missing games here. We're going to get tossed. So I felt like the linesmen and referees had nice talks with each bench and and uh, the players. And the players were like, all right, all right, all right, all right, we get it. Detroit has to know they're not going anywhere this season, and you know Anaheim's got to make sure no one's getting injured. So for you know, the side of lack of entertainment, I was bummed by that because I love when games get like that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to see anyone get seriously hurt, but I mean, that kind of fire, and especially when your team's winning, it makes it more fun. Yeah. But uh, the Ducks would get out of that second period. They lead the game at this point 3-2. to two. Shots 27-20. to 20. Anaheim gets back in the shot count lead, and we get the third period going. Gibby had to make a really good stop on Glenn Denning. He was kind of in all alone, right? I mean, I, I just just another play by Gibby. This is why he's our starting goaltender. Yeah, I mean, how many times a game do we say Gibby had to make a, a good stop on somebody? It's usually two or three times a game. It was early on on uh, Bertuzzi. It's here on this one as well. Glenn Denning had, I mean, it was. I guess it was a breakaway, but the puck was a little bit ahead of him, so he just kind of gets a stick on it and throws it on Gibby. But he has to be in a good position to make that save. Uh, and it's something he's really worked on. I, I think it's made him just a complete goaltender. Uh, again, I don't want to get into the Vesna discussion because I feel like we could talk about that forever. But he just had another strong game in this one. He only let in two goals on Detroit's 30 shots. Didn't bump his save percentage up from 9.926, but it's got to be borderline close to .927. So, yeah, I mean, that's unbelievable for an entire season of work. He's only sitting behind Pecorini when you look at goaltenders who've played over 40 games. Uh, he's just been unstoppable. Yeah, and he's got to remain hot and remain healthy here down the stretch, as we say every night. Yeah. But it's just the truth, the way this Ducks team needs him. Um, and this is where the Kessler line would pop one again. Ryan Kessler getting his own rebound on a feed from Cogliano. You know, Howard made a hell of a first save on this. But then Kessler was able to get his stick on the rebound and pop it over the pad. And it would salt this one away 4-2. to two. Good to see Kessler getting on the board with his seventh of the season, right? Yeah, underrated toe drag, too. I think he just, Oh, like, it was. Yeah, like <laughs> when he receives the pass from Darren Helm. Just a little bit of a toe drag around him, and then he shovels it on net and gets the rebound. So, if I mean, if you if you look at the the heat map for this game, all four of the goals scored right around the crease. So the Ducks were crashing the net all night. Obviously, knew what kind of game plan they wanted to go to. So great to see him get on the board. I, I feel like he needed one. I, I mean, this line had that very good game a couple nights ago, and then they cooled off a bit. Now they're back in this game. So at least there's a little bit of consistency to their offense. We're seeing them every other game or so. It'd be nice for them to continue to, to this trend towards the playoffs because, I mean, as we mentioned, every time the Ducks are going to need all three lines clicking if they're going to even make it in. Or you're looking at playing San Jose possibly in the first round with San Jose having home ice. I mean, you need everybody clicking if you're gonna you're gonna beat them and move on. No, you're right. And this this game would would end up coming to an end. Like I said, four to two. Ducks end up getting the shot lead, thirty six thirty. And you know what? Who had a better night five on five than that Ryan Kessler line? It was yeah. it was them. They held yeah. that team together. I felt like I felt like they were the best team on there. You look at their their uh, possession percentages here too. They were they were the hell of a line in all situations as well. Yeah, I mean it was just a dominant all around performance for them. They played well defensively was what we expect from them. Getting on the board on the offense side of it too was great. And and again, I mean even with Henry um, Cash and Richie, they were up there again because they had a strong game on shot attempts last time against Vancouver, but we didn't really see the offense. And now we obviously saw them click together for that Richie goal, and they were up there again in shot attempts and score chances. So. 
things are starting to turn around. And and I've, I I want to say that hesitantly because it's against Vancouver and Detroit. So, uh, I mean, it's against some not-so-great teams. I think the New Jersey game is a little bit more of a difficult test, but New Jersey still isn't at the same level as Dallas and, and Nashville and the Ducks lost to them. So I'm happy that it's, it's starting to move in the right direction for those two lines, but you got to take it a little bit with a grain of salt because you don't know how they're going to fare against some of the better teams in the Western Conference. No, it's true. Um, it's very true. These are must-win games, and they are absolutely games the Ducks should be able to win, and they did. So that's important as well, the whole play to the level of competition. I felt like the Ducks carried the majority of the play through both these past two games. So that's also important to look at. I mean, I know that you and I, um, we both have no problem being critical of our home team here. But we, I mean, we got to remain positive as this because we've been begging for this team to come around and these uh, these secondary scoring lines to get points and for the Ducks to pick up points in the standings and able to get four out of the last two games is just so crucial with how tight this playoff race has become because the Ducks sat around the last three prior and let other teams catch up. So it's just crucial to get. And before we go any further, shout out to Marcus Patterson. He had a hell of a game. Yeah. He was on there on the ice. For, I mean, he had the best possession percentages out of anybody on the team. Granted, he doesn't play, you know, the lion's share of minutes. He ended up playing 12 minutes and 52 seconds. Had 20 chances for and nine chances against. So good on him. I felt like uh, he didn't look out of place in this game. But again, that Brandon Montour and Cam Fowler pairing has just been monstrous for the Ducks. And I don't know. That is just going to write the check for Brandon Montour. Yeah. Hey, I don't I don't know what else to say about that guy, but he's really turned his game around this season. Yeah, and, and again, they were the, the lion or the defensive pairing that played the most minutes in all situations. Cam Fowler played 25 minutes. Montour was third, about a minute under Hampus Lindholm. Uh, and Manson ended up only playing uh, 21 minutes. So those two uh, pairings obviously being utilized the most, but the fact that now the Ducks are relying more on Fowler and Montour, like you said, it does just write the check for Montour because he had that very good game where he had two goals against Vancouver, had another strong effort in this one. Obviously didn't get any points, but he's really worked on his all-around defensive game, and I, I think he's just really gelled with Cam Fowler, which is something we've been waiting for for a long time, for those two to really find their partner. And, of course, it ends up being each other who work well together. And again, nice for, for Marcus Patterson to come back into the lineup, have a strong game, led all Ducks players in shot attempts. He had a 60, just under 69%, close to 4 percentage in all situations. So very strong game from him, even though he has to deal with Boschman and probably will have to swap out and, and have to deal with Holzer a bit while BX is out. But it's kind of nice to have him back in the lineup. I mean, we had uh, hashtag free Marcus Pedersen going for one game before he got back in, and then he had a strong game in this one. So it's nice to see. No, absolutely. And just to stay on the on the uh, topic of the blue line, I got to ask you about uh, what's going on with Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson. I know that you look at you have to look at the body of work. You can't pick out a stretch of five or six games and go, oh, they're they're crap. I mean, they're playing like yeah. crap. They're terrible players. You know, what happened? You know, what's going on here? And I don't want to get too detailed on them, but do you think something has changed um, without having to jump into, like, deployments and zone starts and all of that and, and getting super analytical? Just, have you seen anything on the surface for their game as to why maybe there has been a slight change and slight dip in performance? Yeah, I don't really know. I, I mean, I haven't noticed too much of a difference in, in their individual play, at least. I feel like Lindholm's still doing what he does best. 
I mean, he separated a couple guys from the pucks in, in, in good positions last night in the Detroit game, and it's not like they got uh, any really they didn't really play against the Detroit's best line necessarily. I mean, they played their most minutes, at least Lindholm did, against Bertuzzi and Nyquist, as well as Henrik Zetterberg. I mean, and they didn't really get caved in against them. It's just they haven't really been up to the standard that we expect from them. And I don't know if that's because now they, they're not really held responsible to carry the load for the Ducks because Fowler and Montour uh, allows them to you know take a break a bit. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like they'll rebound, honestly. And, and again, like you said, we can't really know too much without diving into their zone starts to see if any of that's changed over the last, what, I guess it's been almost five to ten games where it's been a little bit difficult for them now. But uh, I feel like something definitely has changed. But it, it's not so noticeable on the ice as it is when you look and you dive into the stats after the game. Yeah, and that's why it's important to to not throw out the eye test just for analytics and not throw out analytics for the eye test because two can tell a different story and then you have yeah. to kind of mix them together to get an idea of how those guys are playing. Um, Lindholm and Manson are still great defenders. I was just surprised looking at, at the numbers here, but like I was saying, more impressively, um, the way Marcus Pedersen played last night and then Jakob Silverberg just had a hell of a game. He was all over the ice. He was dangerous when he was on the ice. The team was creating chances. Obviously, he gets two assists on the night. It's good to see him kind of get his wheels turning again and you know get that Cogliano and Kessler line along with he on it going as we, the much needed secondary scoring here. Um, but we, without going further off the blue line, I got to talk to you guys about Kevin Bieksa. Um, unfortunate as much as we like to talk about how. He's not the strongest defender on the Ducks, and we say we refer to him as the old man or the dinosaur, or whatever you want to say. Uh, he's a heart and soul guy, and uh, you know we we like the guy. We just feel like he's at the end of his time, and and the way Carlisle deploys him and Bob Murray, you know, they all work together on when they set up a lineup. I, it's just the way it goes. So it's hard to fault BXO what minutes he plays, but uh, unfortunate for the guy here has to have hand surgery. He's out two to five weeks. That was the reason for the call-up for Kravini and Holzer, and that's why we're going to see Marcus Pedersen, and uh, and Holzer probably will slot in here a couple of games just to get his feet wet here back in the NHL. What is your take on this, and uh, and how do you see this panning out for Anaheim down the stretch, Eddie? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely disappointing for Bieksa because I feel like you know he's a guy who definitely wants to be in the lineup every night. I mean, the, the good thing is it's not severe. I mean, it's just an undergoing hand surgery to remove scar tissue. It's not like it's going to really hurt his career in the long run, I would think. But it, it I don't want to say this because I, it's, you know, I don't wish ill on, on any player. And I really not did all. not want to see Kevin BX be hurt. But I feel like it helps the Ducks in their push for the playoffs. Because now we're going to see Marcus Pedersen in there pretty much every night. I really doubt... Randy Carlisle goes to Boschman and Holzer, although I wouldn't put it past him. But it really does help the Ducks' chances because they were starting to use Boschman and Bieksa together more often, which is never an ideal situation. They caved in every time they're out there together. Now with him not available in the lineup, you at least have one guy back there who's a mobile defenseman who's a little bit younger, can skip a lot better, Bieksa can, and I think it helps out the team. But it's unfortunate that it has to come due to an injury because... It, really, Randy Carlisle should have never been playing them both together anyway. I mean, I felt like Marcus Pedersen, although wasn't playing that great, should be in the lineup on a nightly basis just to avoid that fact. But we, we wish Bieksa well. We hope that it's sooner rather than later that he can come back. I feel like he's still 
is a valuable depth defenseman to this team where he can come in and, and plug in a role if, if Boschman is tired or, or they need to fill a role if, if Holter can't play. So I feel like he can play that role. Uh, but I, I love to see Marcus Pedersen in the lineup more often. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're going to get the the uh, the chance to see that. We're going to see him play yeah. more, obviously. But uh, Kessler will most likely be back, uh, I would say, playoff time. Um, if the Ducks are able to squeak in, which we all think they will be able to, they just got to make sure they stay strong down the stretch. They got very winnable games ahead, but they got tough opponents ahead, Yeah, um, which I want to talk to you about here just for a second. You know, the game tomorrow is going to be a tough one against New Jersey. I mean, that team is having an unexpectedly great season. Taylor Hall is leading that team. Nico Heischer has been good. How do you feel New Jersey is going to give um, – or how do you, yeah, How much of a uh, of a game do you think New Jersey is going to give the Ducks tomorrow night? Do you think it's going to be a tough one, or do you feel like the Ducks have a legitimate chance to kind of steamroll this team? Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like the, there's an advantage in the fact that New Jersey plays L.A. today, and you're going to get a team that could be a little bit tired. I, I believe – Corey Schneider's back in the lineup for them, so I don't know if he's going tonight. I'd have to look into that or not, see if he's going against L.A. or if he's going to go against Anaheim. That obviously makes all the difference in the world because it's a lot easier to face Kincaid or Appleby or whoever they decide to send out there than it is to face Corey Schneider. But New Jersey's coming off two very, very impressive road wins against Nashville and Vegas. They beat Nashville in a shootout 3-2 last Saturday. And they beat Vegas on Wednesday 8-3. to And Taylor Hall wasn't even the center of the offense on that night. I believe he only had one or two points. So everybody was going for them. Hitcher, Zaka, uh, Johansson, all those guys were going for them on that night. So they're a scary team when they, they start playing, uh, when the secondary scoring kind of steps in. But there's no question that that team centers around Taylor Hall. And if yeah. he's having an off night, most of the time they're going to struggle. So I think it's going to be a lot of pressure on the Kessel line if that's the line that's tasked with shutting down Taylor Hall because that's really the pinnacle of their offense. And we talked about on the last show how him and McKinnon and Connor McDavid are really the three guys who are carrying their teams uh, this season, and, and two of them are just barely in the playoffs because that's really all that's going for them. So... I think it's going to be tough. It's definitely tougher than Detroit and definitely tougher than Vancouver. I'm just interested to see who the starting goaltender is because as of right now, it says Corey Schneider is probable. For it really means nothing. I mean, he could either go or Kincaid could either go. So it'll be interesting to see who the Ducks end up facing. Yeah, and you know, and Keith Kincaid has been no slouch. He's 8-2 and two yeah. in his last 10 games. Yeah. So he's, he's a lesser-known name around the league. But uh, it's not like you're going to get some uh, some sieve and net if Corey Schneider's not in. Exactly. The Ducks are going to have to bring their A game. I feel like there's there's no slowing down. You can't take a night off at this time of year. Uh, but the game after that, another biggie for the Ducks. I that it just doesn't get easier. This is a team they're going to be playing here, um, Calgary on Wednesday in Calgary. That's going to be a tough one too, Eddie. I feel like, I mean, with the playoff feel going on in a Detroit game. How much more magnified and how much more fire is going to be in that game? Yeah, I mean, that that's a huge game for the Flames as much as it is, is for the Ducks as well. I mean, the Flames lost 7-4 to at home to San Jose last night, which was a tough loss for them. And it puts them in a difficult position because now they're 10 points. I'm sorry, they're 10 games remaining, 4 points out behind uh, Anaheim and Dallas for that wild card spot. 
and they're sitting four points behind LA, but LA has a game in hand. So that's a do or die game for them because if you lose that one, you've got about eight games remaining. You're six points behind the next highest team to get into the playoffs. So that's going to be a very very feisty game. It's always you know it's always a physical game when the Ducks play. Uh, the Flames, especially when Matthew Kachuk's in the lineup. Uh, right now, he might have a concussion, so I don't know if he's going to be in that game, which is a relief for the Ducks if he's not, because not only is he a pest, but he's one of Calgary's best players, and he's been extremely, extremely good this season. So, yeah, I mean, it doesn't get any easier. The, the, the New Jersey game is very tough. Calgary with Goodrow, Monaghan, Kachuk when he's in the lineup, Dougie Hamilton, Giordano, they've got some guys who can hurt you. I feel like they're not playing as well as they could I think they would. They're a lot better team uh, than the standing show, so it, it's not. It doesn't get easier. And then after that, you've got Winnipeg too. So this is a real test coming up for the Ducks. Really have to get four out of six points or win all three to stay in the playoff race. Especially you want to rely on LA or San Jose to lose games. No, not when Evander Kane's scoring four goals. Yeah, um, he's That's the one tough. who lit up the Flames last night. And you know Calgary is going to be just. I think this is going to be just a nasty, nasty game on Wednesday. I really feel I don't want to look ahead past New Jersey because the Ducks need to get through New Jersey first. But that Calgary game in Calgary is going to be just. Don't miss this game. Yeah, it's at six thirty yeah. Pacific time. Um, you got to get in and watch that game. It's that these two teams legitimately hate each other. Calgary can't hate Anaheim anymore from the playoff losses and they do now and with the injuries you know Giordano with hitting Fowler like it's just I think it's going to be bad blood boiled over just almost instantly especially if there's a hit or if the game starts to get out of hand on the scoreboard I mean I can't wait for that game on Wednesday but then you're talking about Friday Patrick Line. you saw that ridiculous you know toe drag he did then backhand toe drag he did the other night yeah um, that guy's fire. He's he's killing it right now. He's at the top of the goal scoring game with Ovechkin, and then oh man, you know two days later you got to go to Edmonton and play against uh, Connor McDavid. <laughs> what a stretch of three games <laughs> the Ducks are going to have on the road. That's yeah. those, these are not easy games. No, they're not. And, and starting with that Winnipeg one, I think Lionel's on a fourteen game point streak right now for a teenager, which is just insane. He's one goal behind Ovechkin with about five games on him, so he's probably leading the NHL, I would assume, in, in goals per game. So he's a guy you got to watch out for. And then you've got Blake Wheeler on that team as well, who's leading the National Hockey League in assists. In assists, I wouldn't have expected Blake Wheeler to be the guy that would be leading the league in assists. Underrated playmaker, I guess, because you've got guys like Voracek. You've got Getzloff up there as well, guys you would expect to be up near the top 10. But Wheeler, I think, is an interesting one. They've got Shifley back now. They're just poised to make a deep line. Truba just came back for them. I mean, they're getting guys from back from injury out of nowhere, and they're still a good team before they were even in the lineup. So this is going to be scary. Playing in Winnipeg's never easy. We saw it in the playoffs when they had the whiteout. I mean, it's a tough atmosphere to go to. And then obviously playing Connor McDavid. I mean, Edmonton as a team hasn't been great. But at any night, Connor McDavid could win a game for the Oilers, and they always seem to get up to play when the Ducks come to town, especially Leon Draisaitl, who's one of the many duck killers in the league, along with guys like Anthony Duclair and Max Domi. So that's that's gonna be tough. And, and I think the you know not to skip over the Vancouver game on the 27th, but we're talking about feisty games, games that are, are gonna be really violent and and difficult to play. That game against LA, the last of the month. 
not only is that going to be a big game in the standings, that's going to be a nasty game. That that I feel like that has the potential to be even nastier than the Calgary game. Uh, I mean, it's it's just going to be a very very difficult month for the Ducks. You know, it really all starts on Sunday against New Jersey, and it, it, I don't know. I feel like if if they get a win, if they get at least one win uh, between New Jersey. And uh, in Calgary, I feel like one of those uh, one win on of those two games is important. I feel like obviously the Calgary one with the points in the standings is definitely the the stronger game and the game you want to get points in. You want to get as many points as you can against the Flames, but it's not an easy schedule. Uh, and, and you know you've got teams who are just fighting to get in, and you've got some teams who could play spoiler. So it'll be interesting to see where they go. We'll move on a bit. Uh, we had one question to Reddit before we get to the discussion about either Kovalchuk. We had um, Halo on, sorry, this was on Reddit, had said, uh, you've freed Marcus Pedersen. How well do you expect he does with Holzer on his right D? Now, of course, uh, Boschman was the guy who played with him in last night's game, and I feel like that's what they're going to do most of the time. I don't think the Ducks even really have a back-to-back until the last two games of the season. So realistically, we could see Boschman with Pedersen for the rest of the season leading up until that game, depending on, on where the Ducks are in the standings. I don't even know if we really see Holter that much, but it all depends, I think, on where Francois Boschman is ready to go. If he doesn't feel like he's ready to go in a game, we'll see Holter, and I don't think it'll make too much of a difference in the pairings. I mean, it, it opens up a little bit more possibilities because then you have Holter playing on his strong side as a right D, and you're not playing two lefties on that bottom pairing, so maybe... It's a better opportunity, but it's not like Holzer is that much better than Francois Boschman. But, uh, I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I don't know what you think. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you on that. I feel like he's he's not going to tick the needle up any, any higher than uh, Boschman would. And uh, Pedersen's probably going to see a lot of Boschman, I feel like. I'm right there with you. There's a lot of days. Like, you look at the after the game on Sunday, the Ducks have two days off. They travel to Calgary, then a day off. There's no back-to-backs, like you said. Then after the road trip, before they play, LA, um, not this Friday, but next. There's also two game or two days off in between that. So I feel like Pedersen's going to be getting a lot of minutes, um, but I feel like Holter's not going to be up there with him. I'd be surprised if if yeah. Holter is able to play and slot in over Boschman. Yeah, so I, I mean, other than maybe a matchup thing, you'd just prefer to have a, a right D on the right side. But I mean, the Ducks really haven't shown that they prefer that sometimes because we've had Boschman and, and Pedersen together. Um, on, on a regular basis, and and I feel like unless Boschman just isn't ready to go, he, he's probably going to be in the lineup. So I don't know. We'll see because you never know with Boschman. I, I mean, I feel like with no back to backs, he should be ready to go, but he's also sat out on some games where you expect him to be ready to go, and then BX ends up playing back to back games, or then sometimes Boschman ends up playing back to back games. So I think it all just depends on on Boschman's status and really what Randy Carlo wants to do. Yeah, it's all about what RC wants to do, man. RC yep. and uh, GMBM. Who uh, <laughs> my buddy Jay hates when I say GMBM. He always thinks I'm talking about bowel movements. He's like, you got to stop saying that, man. You got to say Paul Burry. Can't say BM. Like, all right, well. Every time I say, <laughs> I feel like in the back of my head, every time I'm, if I don't say GMBM, I'm gonna end up saying Brian Murray and looking like an idiot because <laughs> I, I feel like so. I always try and say GMBM, and then every time I say Bob Murray, I have to like double check in my head that I said the right one before I continue to go on. So that that's most of the time why I say it. But I get where he's coming from. I, I mean, yeah, no, I've not said the best Brian Murray before as well. I've totally yeah. done that. Um, 
So this is winding down to the end of the season, man. We got three weeks left, and then yeah. it's happy fun time playoffs. Yeah, well, hopefully it's happy fun time playoffs. I mean, we're not there yet, so I, I, I think gotta, we all got to be but... positive. I'm usually the, the pessimist, <laughs> but I, I really feel like I need the Ducks to make the playoffs, and I really need the Kings to not make the playoffs because I got to bet with my buddy Jay that if the Kings miss, that he has to buy me uh, playoff tickets, and if the Ducks, yeah, and if the Kings make it, I have to buy him playoff tickets. Or if they both make last it, season. So yeah, the bet was I would bet the Kings didn't make the playoffs. You said they would. Yeah. And so if they miss the playoffs, he has to buy me, you know, Friday. Was it? Yeah, the end of the end of the season game, the Dallas game against the Ducks on Friday, April sixth. Okay. And if the Ducks miss the playoffs, but if they make the playoffs, then we got to buy playoff tickets. You know what I mean? So yeah. either one of us has to buy tickets if the Kings make or lose. Um, but let's just hope the Kings lose. I don't want Jason to win. <laughs> I don't. And I don't want the Kings in the playoffs. So I feel like only one of them gets in at this point. Either Anaheim or LA. I, I don't know if Colorado or Dallas really slow down. I mean, McKinnon's carrying Colorado, and Dallas is. I feel like they're a better team than LA, and maybe even a better team than Anaheim. So I feel like at this point, it probably is only three Pacific Division teams get in. So one of you is buying tickets for the other person. Oh, absolutely. And you're looking at this stretch. We just talked about you know, Winnipeg, Calgary, Edmonton, and then like kind of like almost like the night off against Vancouver, which we hope the Ducks don't take the night off. But then you got L.A. Yeah. at home, and then you have McKinnon in Anaheim on Sunday. So that's going to be a scary game with Colorado. That's a huge game. And then Minnesota, who is no slouch. And then you have Dallas to round out the uh, the homestand. And then you have – then the Ducks have to fly to Arizona and play their final game of the season. So not an easy stretch of games, but there's definitely winnable games. This is where we're going to find out if the Ducks are playoff ready and if they're ready to you know to step up and play at that next level. Isn't it funny how it always works out in the schedule where the last game somehow always means something in the standings? Because you mentioned three of the four teams there. The Ducks are fighting with L.A. for the final spot in the Pacific and then fighting with Colorado and Dallas for the final wildcard spots. I don't know. It's funny how that always works out because those are all three of those games are going to be huge in the standings, and the Ducks need to get points, if not win, all three of those games to either solidify themselves in the, in that final spot in the Pacific, or to cling on and get one of those wild card spots. I didn't expect this. Even when we talked about the last few games, I think it was about a week ago when Dallas and and Colorado were a little bit farther down in the standings. I didn't really think those would be as important as they look right now. No, it's true, man. It seems like it happens every year, and the Ducks really, like, we can't say it enough, need to not take the foot off the gas. Let's shift gears here a bit. Um, there's somebody coming to the NHL from the KHL who was originally from the NHL. Ilya Kovalchuk decided yeah. to wait another year and not have GMs agree on where he should play. He's going to come into the NHL this summer as a free agent, July 1st which is just very funny to me because he talked all kinds of crap last year about how he had no plans, he's not coming to the NHL, he's, you know, he doesn't want to. Now he changed his tune. He yeah. wants to be part of the uh, the triple triple gold club, right? He's now got that Olympic gold uh, when the NHL's not around. And now he wants to come to the NHL and try to win a Stanley Cup. He'll be 35 this summer, Eddie. Do you think he has a chance to play in Anaheim? It doesn't seem like a Bob Murray move. But it's definitely something that uh, piques interest because he's a high-level player. And yeah. even at 35, I think Kovalchuk will still be dangerous. I, I don't think so. But it's it's kind of an interesting thing to talk about. I mean, we have to remember that Patrick Eves is still hurt out of this lineup. So he's a guy who still has to slot in 
to that top nine as it currently stands and has to bump somebody out into the fourth line. So if you bring in Kovalchuk as a free agent, then you're bumping somebody else down there. And I feel like the the realistic option to bump anybody out right now is probably Richie. Uh, as unfortunate as it is, I think he's a guy who would get bumped down to the fourth line before anybody else. That's bringing in Patrick Eves. And then from there, if you bring in Kovalchuk, if you can even afford to bring in Kovalchuk, you know, he realistically would slot onto a top line with what Getzlaff and Perry or Getzlaff and Raquel or some kind of some kind of combination of that. I think it'd be a crime not to play him with Ryan Getzlaff. Uh but then you're bumping down what Kasha or Cogliano to the fourth line. I, I mean it makes your your entire lineup stronger for sure. But then you're getting guys who who shouldn't be playing eight to ten minutes a night, uh and they are. So I don't know. It's it's an interesting discussion because I, I am really interested to see where he ends up going because now he really gets the choice and he's probably going to get paid because he's coming in as a free agent and you know somebody's going to overpay. Somebody always does. So it'll be interesting to see where he ends up, whether it's Anaheim or somewhere else. You know, the rumor is New York. The Rangers. Yeah. Which That's is weird. The rumor, which... They just sold the farm essentially and they were like rebuilding and now they're going to bring in a 35-year-old guy from the KHL. I don't know. I don't see why that would be a good fit for Kovalchuk. I mean, they're not going to be NHL playoff ready, right? It's not like the Rangers are going into the summer from all accounts. It looks like they're going to be retooling and rebuilding rather than trying to bring in high-priced free agents. But who knows? We've seen stranger things happen and GMs make dumber decisions. But uh, if he slots in on Anaheim, I wouldn't mind seeing Richie get bumped and him playing with Henrik and Kasha and setting him up for one-timers all night. You know, um, if he comes over, he he's coming over to play first line minutes. I feel like yeah, that's part know, of his contract but... right there <laughs> that he has to be on the first line. Uh, there's no way he comes over. So it'd then be you're like bumping a, Perry off. Yeah, it has to be. I mean, there's no way he comes over and doesn't play. It'd be like a Vadim Sapachov type of situation with Vegas where he doesn't get the role he wants, so he'll just head back to Russia. That's what I feel like it'd be. I mean, he. Any contract he signs, he's going to have to get confirmation that as long as he produces, he's going to be on a top line. Vegas mismanaged the hell out of that guy. I mean, really, yeah. they gave that guy like no minutes. They wanted him to play for the, the Chicago NHL. Wolves, right? Like, their, their farm team. It's just like uh, it was their big signing. He's going to come over and, and dangle everybody in the NHL. They didn't give the guy a chance. No. So it was mismanagement to me. I don't. I kind of don't blame him for going um, to, for leaving Vegas. I mean, Vegas obviously didn't need him. With how yeah. well their season ended up turning out, but to see Kovalchuk come to Anaheim, that just that that tells you right there it's not happening. No, he's not going to be playing first line. Can you imagine that Corey Perry's going to be like, oh, it's cool, yeah, come on over and uh, <laughs> and play on our team. I'll just play third line minutes now. I don't care. I mean, no, I mean Corey's still got pride and still wants to play with his boy Getzloff, and I just can't imagine Kovalchuk coming in and being able to have any sort of clout to make that sort of call. It's not happening. Yeah, I believe. He would have to come over and ask JT Brown for his number back too, which might be a <laughs> difficult situation. <laughs> so, I don't know. But but where do where do you think he ends up realistically? I, I mean, there's a lot of interesting situations. I would normally say Vegas, but with that whole Vadim Shapachev situation, and they both play on the same team in the KHL, I'm sure some not so nice things were said about Vegas and their organization. So, where do you think he lands if not Anaheim? Honestly, I feel like a like a nice spot for him to land would be in Dallas. Yeah. Oh, I God, think like that's a really it, yeah. good move for Dallas. 
I really do. That just would make their top six that more potent for the next couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, they need to make the most out of uh, the Tyler Sagan contract as he's going to be due some money, um, I believe, next summer. Yeah. So why not get a, a cup run in for Dallas? I feel like that's the move. I mean, there's a connection there with Radulov. I don't think they played on the same team, but they obviously know each other. I think the only thing with Dallas is you've got to work in, um, you've got to work them in somehow because you know they have some guys coming off. I feel like they can make it to work because Carl Letnin's huge five point nine million dollar contract is off the books this year. You've got there's Dan your Hamus. Kovalchuk money. Yeah, Dan Hamus, his three point seven five comes off, so you've got about what. $10 million to work with. That's definitely enough to sign Kovalchuk. Uh, I, I mean, we'll get into a bit of what I think we think it would cost to get him here anyway. But it opens it up, and I think it's it's an interesting option. The only other team I feel like could be really interested in maybe is the Boston Bruins, and I think it'd be a good fit for him there as well. I think it all depends on what they do with Rick Nash in the offseason, if they decide to re-sign him or not. I don't think they do. But that's another destination he could go as well because, you know, Boston isn't a team that really has to win now. They've got a lot of young guys coming up, and their core isn't that old. But if you're looking for, like, a guaranteed top six score in the NHL, why not sign Kovalchuk for two seasons with your extra cap space instead of bringing back Rick Nash? No, it's true. I would I would have said that L.A. would have been in the running, but they decided to spend some big money on Dion Phaneuf by sucking <laughs> yeah. up his $5.2 million contract. I mean, and that guy's got a no-move clause, no-trade clause, modified, but still. It's like, I really thought L.A. would be poised to grab a Kovalchuk and take a chance. Because, I mean, that they were kind of circling around as an option at one point when uh, there was rumors about Kovalchuk. So, I, I don't see him coming to Anaheim. And I don't feel like he'd be a fit in San Jose now that Evander Kane's there. If, if uh, San Jose can sign Evander Kane then there's really no chance of Kovalchuk going there, in my opinion. Um, I, I mean, I'd be – I mean, stranger things have happened. Yeah. So things work out differently. But I, I don't think he comes to the Pacific Division. He's going to end up being uh, in the East Coast. I, yeah. I hope he doesn't go to Dallas, but I feel like that would be a good fit for him. And You know, why not Boston? Yeah, I agree yeah. with you. I mean, why not Boston? Boston's good this year. I mean, if they could add him now, that would be amazing for that team. Um, good thing they can't. <laughs> so we'll see. What do you yeah. think he's going to cost? So that's the big question coming in from um, a guy who used to play in the NHL, put up you know, insane numbers. He was you know a, uh, an elite level scorer, and then you compare him kind of cap comparable and kind of comparable to Alexander Radulov, but he's better than Radulov. Radulov's younger, yeah. but I feel like Kovalchuk is still more dangerous. Yeah, I think it's interesting. Just because I, I'm going to kill myself if I don't mention it, I feel like another team he might fit with is Columbus. Uh, I'm not going to go in-depth on it. I just wanted to put it out there because I feel like that would be a good fit for him. But as for cost, yeah. I mean, it, there's not really many comparables. You have to look at all, really, the Russian players who came over from the KHL and kind of compare their production. I mean, Radulov, when he came over uh, the second time and signed for Montreal, he just came off of a 65-point uh, season in 53 games with Moscow, had 71 points in 46 games before that. So he was very productive, came over with Montreal, signed a $5.75 million one-year contract, had a good season with Montreal. Somehow Montreal lets him go, and then he signed that uh, that big contract with Dallas at 6.25 for the next five years. So, yeah, I, I honestly think 
Uh, Kovalchuk gets more, not maybe not more than Radulov has right now, but there's definitely the possibility. I mean, you look at what Kovalchuk made before he left, it was like 6.666, like a six is across the board. And uh, at the time, that was huge. And it was, uh, what, like a 14-year contract, something just ridiculous. Something I mean, stupid. Oh, yeah. Looking at it here, his contract, if it wasn't terminated, would be going on going till 2024-25. I wouldn't put it past him to come back in and get someone, something similar to that deal. Not the like the term, but as the value. I feel like he could command 6 to $6.5 on a one- or a two-year deal. And I feel like most teams will pay it because of his I've, past production. I mean, he's a point per game. I feel like he's going to get a two-year, $12 million deal. Yeah. I feel like he's going to get the two-year right before the lockout, right? They don't want to yeah. pay him through that. They don't know what he's worth. He's definitely going to want to be locked up for longer than a season. Um, I feel like they're going to give him a short-term deal, but he's going to get paid. I feel like he's going to get $6 bucks. Okay. I would. I mean, if he goes higher, I'd be surprised. But yeah. just because I know GMs are going to be weary of him, you know, yeah. why would you leave the NHL in your prime to go play in the KHL and all of a sudden you want to come back and he wants to trust you? It's kind of like, okay, bud, but, I mean, you can't deny his ability and you can't deny his production. So I'm going uh, two years, 12 mil. Yeah, and I feel like he comes into the NHL and probably scores at least 30 goals. I mean, I, I, I think so too. I watched him play in the Olympics, and, of course, the competition was not as good as, as you would see in even in the KHL or, or even the NHL. But he had five goals, two assists in six games there. He has 32 goals and 65 points in 55 games with St. Petersburg in the KHL this season, even though that team, I mean, they're stacked. And uh, as we saw in a tweet recently, might be a little bit rigged for them to win because they're Vladimir Putin's favorite team. So still, he's going to produce. Some team's going to pay him a ton of money in the offseason, whether it be Columbus, Boston, Dallas, LA, whoever it is, they're going to pay him a lot of money. But I honestly think it's worth it because, you know, he is older. He's been out of the NHL, what, for five seasons now. His last season with the New Jersey Devils was in 2012, 2013, and he only played uh, 30, 37 games, had 31 points. But this is a career point per game guy, a lethal, lethal goal scorer, one of the best in the league when he was here. And any team is going to cover that. I mean, there are some big names. Like, John Tavares is still a guy who isn't signed, and he's going to be a free agent. So all the buzz is going to be around him, but I think a lot of people believe he'll probably go back to the island. And the most interesting one has to be Kovalchuk then because he really has the pick of all 31 teams of where he wants to go and whoever wants to pay him. And he's got all the leverage in the world to say, I want this much money, and I don't really have to come over uh, if you're not going to pay me it. No. Uh, he's he's in fine Russia. I mean, he just yeah. wants to win that Stanley Cup. So you got to look at him going to a contender. Yeah, I'd be so pissed if Nashville found a way to squeeze his contract in somewhere. Oh, God, yeah. uh, David Poyle and his little magic he does there <laughs> in, in Tennessee. But uh, kind of to circle this back around to Anaheim. Yeah. So Richie and Kasha, they're not signed. If the Ducks were able to work out some sort of negotiating right and able to get. And getting in talks with uh, with Ilya Kovalchuk. Well, I guess they wouldn't need negotiating rights, but they were able to get into negotiations with him and move him over. You don't think he'd play third line minutes at all to play uh, on a team where he could kind of be hidden in Orange County, the beautiful weather near the beach. Um, no one's going to recognize who the hell he is. I mean, does yeah. that? I mean, that does play some factor, but and Anaheim's still got that cup window. I don't think it's shut, and it's not shutting tomorrow. 
Yeah. And I feel like adding him in the short term only because, as anybody knows me, I always bag on the long term old guy contracts on this duck roster. So you got to keep this quick and pretty. Um, do you really don't see Kovalchuk coming here at all? Like even if we don't sign one of those guys, I, I feel like he doesn't come here to play third line minutes. I feel like he doesn't go anywhere. I, I just feel like he believes in what he can produce in the National Hockey League. I feel like he he still believes, and and I still believe he's at least a second line player, if not a first line player, when he comes in. And I, I, there's going to be teams who are going to offer him that first line spot for sure. I mean, if the Ducks say you can come in, you're going to play third line, but we're going to put more like we're going to put more stock in Getzlaff, Perry, and Raquel, even Kessler and Silverberg than we are in you. That's what you're saying, essentially, when you put him on the third line. You can pretty it up and say, oh, we're going to hide you down on the third line. You're going to play about 14, 15 minutes a night, and you're not going to face the toughest opponent, so you're going to be free to do whatever you want. That might work, but looking at the teams that we've already mentioned, I mean, in Columbus, he's a first-line player, and he'll be playing oh, yeah. with Wenberg and Panarin. I mean, that's that's a lot more attractive than playing with Henrik and Kasha or Henrik and Richie. Uh, for sure. I mean, in, in Dallas, I think it'd be interesting because, you know, Radulov just signed that contract. I feel like you're not going to pump him off that first line with Ben and Sagan. So that'd be an interesting way for them to work it out. And in Boston, again, you know, you're not really going to split up Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand. So that's almost a strong, like a tough, uh, a tough sell for them as well. But there are teams out there who will say, you can play on our first line. You'll play on our first power play. You'll be our go-to guy. You'll be expected to score 30 goals. You'll be playing 17, 18 minutes a night. And I feel like that's a more intriguing option than coming and playing on a team's third line. And a team that we don't even really know if is considered a one of the top five contenders in the National Hockey League anymore. So... I feel like there's other teams out there that have a, a lot better, more attractive packages to offer him. I was just trying to stick it sway you a little bit. Yeah, because like I said, I don't feel like he's yeah. going to come to Anaheim either, but maybe a scenario. And there's just not. He's no. not playing third line. Let's put a bow on this um, on this show tonight, or this morning, I should say, rather. Yeah. But we got to talk about one more thing. We have a really cool show coming up this week. We have our first interview. Eddie went out and got somebody. Eddie, who'd we get to come on the show? Yeah, so if you guys saw a little bit of uh, some of the discussions I had on Twitter recently, I mean, we've talked about Gibson and the Vesna a lot recently, and it's kind of been brought up again. I mean, I put out a gift last night that brought it up. But we have Paul Campbell coming on, who writes for In Goal Media, which is the most read goaltending magazine. Uh, so he's going to come on, and he had put out a tweet talking about how he doesn't feel that Gibson is getting a lot of recognition for the Vesna. There's a lot of stats, including goal saved above average, delta save percentage, Ross save percentage, a bunch, where he's sitting either second, first, top three, top five, and you've got guys like Vasilevsky, Rene, Hellebuck who are getting a lot of the attention, and Gibson's not getting any. So he's going to come on our show Wednesday to talk about Gibson and his prospects for the Vesna. If you want to check him out before he comes on the show, you can find him at Way to Go Paul on Twitter. Like I said, he writes for Ingle Media, contributes to Sportsnet, The Athletic, Sporting News. So he's a really good follow if you want to see anything just for NHL news or specifically for goalies as well. No, it's exciting, man. I'm glad we we were able to get somebody on. Um, looking forward to that interview as well. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We appreciate it. Anybody who downloads this show, leaves a review, sends a tweet our way, replies to a tweet, any any kind of interaction, we love it. We're, we apologize, or I should apologize for not uh, 
being available to do the show last night. I had just prior obligations with the family. No way to get out of it. Um, but we'll be back and ready to go tomorrow night, Sunday. We'll After the game against the New Jersey Devils, Eddie and I will be live again. Go find us on iTunes, Forever Mighty Post Game Show. Like our show, subscribe, leave us a review that helps get our show out there. As always, as Eddie would say, find us on Spreaker. And yes, I promise I'll have Facebook posts ready to go this week. I finally figured out Hootsuite, Eddie. So I'll be able to put out show uh, show posts ahead of time and schedule them so I won't be so forgetful. But uh, that's it for us. We love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll talk to you guys tomorrow night.